Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. Some of you, some of us, are really, really excellent worriers. We know how to hop on that runaway mind train and ride it to the full. We can spend spare minutes before we try to fall asleep or when nothing else is occupying our thinking, just picking apart circumstances in our lives that have grown more and more stressful and we think through them again and again and again and they wear on us and erode our soul. We can think about relationships that aren't what they ought to be and we can get into arguments with the other person right there in our head. They don't even have to be present and we can hear their arguments and answer and go back and forth and our minds just spiral around and around and around. It is a downward and destructive cycle. When You find yourself, your hands are occupied doing something else. You may not think about it for a while, but as soon as they're idle again and you don't have something to focus on, a mind just goes right back like metal attracted to a magnet. If anybody had reason to be anxious about things, it might be the Apostle Paul. He had, things had gone south in his life as far as any external observer would would note he was in prison in Rome, had been in prison for more than two years. He who had been called by Jesus on the road to Damascus to take the good news of Christ to the nations, to the Gentiles, couldn't get out of a room. He was under lock and key. If he had any reason to worry and fret, it, 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 he, anybody did, he, he did. He could have argued with those Pharisees that had pursued him and had him locked up. He could have uh, gone round and round in his head with uh, the Roman officials who didn't have the courage to set him free, even though they knew that was the right thing to do. All of those things could have spun, and maybe they did at times. But one of the things that Paul had learned was how to li- was how to live with the peace of God in his life. And, He encourages his friends in Philippi and us as he writes these words in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 through 9. He encourages them and us to hear the invitation from God, whom he calls in this passage the God of peace. The God of peace invites us to know the peace of God, he says. And it is not something that is just done with deep breathing exercises. It's done by the way our lives get organized and focused and focused. He says some pretty clear instructions on this part of Christian living. Paul knows that like like his friends in Philippi are in stressful conditions and because they are human beings, they're always going to be stressful conditions. You and I are never going to live in a a world, our private world or the public world that's without its stresses. We're always going to live in this. There'll always be something to Always something to worry about. Always something to keep our undisciplined mind spinning around like a top. But there are some practices that allows the people of God, who in Jesus Christ, who has given us the gift of peace, to know the peace of God. And he invites us to that here. Let's listen to the reading of this text and uh, hear what Paul says about the kinds of things that make for, make for a peaceful mind. 
I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. The experience of worry and anxiety is a, a common one. Uh, so many things can attract our attention and we begin to dissect them and take them apart and spin out of control in no time. And our, our worried, anxious minds can take the peace right out of our soul. Martin Luther loved his dear wife, Katie, very much and was devoted to her. But it seems that he had to struggle all the time with her dreadful habit of worry. She worried about everything. Once he was traveling, he wrote a letter back home and he said, to the saintly, worrying Lady Catherine, Luther, Dr. at Zoisdorf and Wittenberg, my gracious dear wife, we thank you heartily for being so worried that you can't sleep. For since you started worrying about us, a fire broke out near my door. And yesterday, no doubt due to your worry, a big stone saved for the dear angels would have fallen and crushed us like a mouse in a trap. If you don't stop worrying, I'm afraid the earth will swallow us. Pray and let God worry. Cast your burden on the Lord. Well, uh, some of us are worriers like Katie was. E. Stanley Jones, who was a Methodist missionary, said that worry is the interest that we pay on tomorrow's troubles. Worrying is like taking out a loan next year, but starting to make the payments already, and they don't count toward the principal. We just worry and worry now about something off in the future. And in the meantime, there's no money for the present bills. Jesus said, uh, Tomorrow's worry, tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Live today, be in the present. Don't worry about tomorrow. It will, it will be, there will be plenty to worry about then. He said that yesterday's burdens aren't to follow us around and tomorrow's aren't to trouble us. We live presently, we live today. How do you deal with worry? I mean, how, what could we possibly learn to do? Well, Paul has some instructions here. He's actually instructing these people in Christian living and saying, here's how you live in a world like ours where 
You may find yourself in prison. You may find things taken away from you. You may find yourself dealing with things you didn't want to deal with. You may find your relationships broken and bruised. There are ways of learning in Christ to deal with those things. It's not just self-help. It's a way of living that he calls us to. He says that the God of peace invites us to know the peace of God. The God of peace invites us to restore conflictual relationships. He says that in verses 2 and 3. I I beseech, I urge Euodia, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. There are hints along the way in the letter to the Philippians, we've talked about them a few weeks ago, that all things are not well relationally in the church, that there, is, there are people who are acting out of their own self-interest, and Paul has called them out of that uh, to think about the interests and the concerns of others, to have the mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. It, there is a need there for relationships to be enriched. He said, I'm praying for you that your love would overflow more and more for each other. He had told them to renounce conceit and pride. So there's evidence that there were some troubling things. And one of those troubling set of relationships that we did talk about a few weeks ago were these two women, Euodia and Syntyche. We know nothing about them really, except they were leaders in the church. They may, like Lydia, uh, have been women who had a house church meeting in their home. Uh, it, they may have been just very devoted leaders within the congregation, but clearly they, Paul regarded them as his co-workers, but somehow they had gotten at odds with each other. And Paul urges them because he knows that their broken relationship has its impact upon that of the congregation. And he urges them to get their hearts together, to be of the same mind, to focus on what unifies them, to deal with whatever had separated them. Maybe they had different ideas about leadership. Maybe they thought differently about things. Maybe one had offended the other. We really don't know what was going on. But there is a a call to a solution. He said, I want you to agree together in the Lord. I want you to find that one in the spirit kind of thing we sang about just a few minutes ago, where you love one another and that's how people know that you are Christians. He called on one of the other leaders in the church. It may have been Epaphroditus, the man who was... bearing this letter back to the congregation and reading it to them on Paul's behalf. He calls on my fellow yoke fellow, my true yoke fellow, help these women. They may need help in reconciling. It may require sitting down together and talking through things and focusing on the reconciliation of this relationship. They need a new dose of joy in their lives. It's been stolen from them by this bruised relationship. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, Paul tells them. They need a fresh experience of magnanimity, of generosity, of of moderation is how some translations have it. But let your gentleness be known to all people, he tells them. Let your gentleness be characterized by the gentle way you speak and treat one another. No more harshness, 
No more condemnation. No more argumentative spirit. No more passive-aggressive kinds of things. Gentleness, he says. And they need a new awareness of God's presence. The Lord is near. The Lord is with you. All of this division between the two of you is taking place in the very presence of Christ. Why don't you find a way to reconcile that? Think the same thing. Be of the same mind. Live with gentleness. And if you need help, get one of your Christian brothers like Epaphroditus to to work that out with you. That's what he calls them to. And God of peace invites us to restore conflictual relationships. Relationships are the source of much of our worry. A good bit of the time, what's spinning around in our heads and that we have a hard time quieting down is this little tornado of arguing and uh, judging and uh, condemning others in our lives who have made our lives uncomfortable some way or another. We spend a lot of time doing that. Even Christian people, and Paul says, find a way to make peace together. Finding peace may begin with making peace. Do you hear that? Finding peace in our life may begin with making peace with those with whom we find ourselves in conflict. Those misunderstandings steal sleep from us, but they steal peace from us. We worry all the time about what somebody else is thinking or saying or doing. We're trying really hard to read their minds, and then we argue with them, and they're not even in the room. We play dishonest games with each other, and uh, we don't say what we mean. A lot of anxiety could be disposed of by just choosing to live differently with one another, more honestly, more transparently, with less having to be right all the time, more proactively, acting with gentleness, acting with joy, less protective of ourselves and our relationships with one another. So much of scripture instruction about Christian living is focused on this very thing about how we manage relationships. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about that. You're at the altar making an offering and you realize your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your offering there at the altar. Go be reconciled. Make peace with your brother or sister. It's more important than anything that you could offer God at the altar. And then come back and make your offering out of a pure heart. Be reconciled. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. Don't don't spend the night suffering from resentment flu that you've caught from a relationship with someone else. You may need to involve others in the process, but God calls us to peacemaking, not just peace. He pleads with us to find reconciliation. If you can trace any of the anxiety in your life back to a relationship, then Paul says to us, the God of peace invites you to find a way to make peace in those relationships. The Lord is near. God's help is available. And then he says that the God of peace invites us to enrich our life of prayer as a way of knowing the peace of God. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Worry is this anxious, harassing care about something, where we are trying to bear the burden of the future all by ourselves with our own solutions, our own fears, uh, our unreasonable anxiety over things over which we have 
no control or very little. Many of you are familiar with Reinhold Niebuhr's uh, serenity prayer. God, grant me, grant me the ability to separate, he prays, the things I can control and the things I can't control. Help me to be responsible for the things that I can control and help me to be at peace. Grant me serenity for the things that I can't control. One time during a very anxious period of my life, I had been praying that prayer and thinking through its meaning, and I literally pulled out a legal pad and made two columns, things I can control, things I can't, and about the situation. I listed those, and guess where I was spending all my time, my mental energy, in the column over the things that I had no control over. And the things over in the other column that I had some say-so over, I was being irresponsible with. I wasn't taking the action I needed to take. It, Paul recognizes that way back then, that we are called on to be at peace, not be anxious, to, to pray about everything instead of handling it ourselves. In this case, I think the source of anxiety is not primarily relationships. It may have something to do with it. I think it's primarily about circumstances. When circumstances are out of our control, things we can do nothing about, but they cause us a great deal of stress and anxiety. He said, this is where prayer comes in. This is where you enrich your life of prayer. He said, whether it's job or suffering or sickness or struggles or money or the future, any of these things that we have no control over, Paul says, talk to God about it. That's his advice. Every, in everything with prayer. And by that, he uses the most general word for prayer, which includes all the forms of prayer. It includes our adoration of God, our confession of sins, our thanksgiving, our request, our worship, all the things that comprise our interacting with God in prayer are part of that word. And everything in prayer with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Petition, request, joy, thanksgiving. And he said, this is to be the practice regarding everything. In everything, all things, always pray, pray, talk to God about it. A rich life of prayer that enters into the various dimensions of prayer life, communication with God is one of the resources that God's provided for us to deal with the anxieties that arise through circumstances. I think one of the things that, that often helps there is just what we've been taught along the way through song. You know the song, we grew up singing it, what a friend we have in Jesus. How, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry what? Everything, everything to God in prayer. There is a connection between talking to God about the circumstances and our capacity to be at peace in the midst of those circumstances. It helps to talk to someone who cares and understands, whether that's another person with flesh and blood or whether that is our Heavenly Father. It helps to know that we can ask for strength to deal with the circumstances of our life. But mostly, it helps for us to encounter the God of peace in the midst of our anxiety. When I'm vibrating, shaking because of the anxiety that's present in my life, what I need to do is grab hold of something solid that doesn't shake and doesn't vibrate. And God is the one who is our rock, our refuge, the one who is not shaken by anything or surprised by anything. And prayer is one means of 
I would say taking hold of God. It might be better to say prayer is one means of God's taking hold of us and holding us like we might hold a frightened child so that we're not shaking and vibrating so very much. Paul doesn't offer any assurance uh, here of saying, in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request be known to God, and God will take away all those stressful circumstances. He doesn't say that. He says that in the midst of those, as you pray, that the peace of God that passes all understanding will stand guard over your heart and mind, watch out for you, help you to find peace in the middle of that, and keep those anxious thoughts further and further away. And it's the peace of God he's offering to us, not peace with God. We have peace with God, he said, because of our faith in Jesus Christ who has forgiven our sins and provided us relationship with God. We're at peace with God, but here he's offering us the peace of God, which is God's kind of peace, the kind of peace that God knows, serenity and knowing who is ultimately in charge of our lives. And prayer is a way of taking hold of that or being taken hold of by this one who is the God of peace. I came across this prayer a few years ago. It's called a prayer for a busy day. And maybe you can identify with it. I can. That's why I saved it. Dear God, when the day is too busy and the voice is too loud, when there's too much on my mind and too little in my heart, when I plan too much for tomorrow and explain too much about yesterday, when faith is a Sunday word, and let's be practical, my motto through the week. When I have hidden my true feelings inside and then complained of being lonely and misunderstood. When I am quite hopelessly lost and even don't have a sense enough to know it. Be my good shepherd and my friend. Gather up my jangled nerves, my tensed muscles, my anxious and fluttering heart. Gather up my fearful heart and hold it warmly in your hand. Send life pulsing through it like an irresistible flood. Quicken me to a quivering blaze, excited and alive. But show me how to be quiet too. Teach me to be still. In deep stillness, let me rest. Let silence surround me like a friend, calming me and instructing me with deeper wisdom from within. When my day is too busy and the voices are too loud, be my good shepherd and my friend. Amen. This is the work of a life of prayer. I'm not certain that just a shot off prayer in the middle of anxiety is suddenly going to cause us to flood with peace. It's the practice of being in relationship with God in prayer that allows us in the time of anxiety to turn to our friend Jesus, to our Father God, and talk about the circumstances going on and finding that kind of peace, the peace of God. Uh, helping us, strengthening us, bearing us along in this experience. The God of peace invites us to a rich, enriched prayer life as a means of knowing the peace of God. The God of peace invites us to develop a focused thought life. Uh, this is a tough one, but it's a practice. In many ways, anxiety is undisciplined, uncontrolled thought. It almost feels like there's another person inside our head. We could almost talk about my thoughts are going this way, but this is not what I want. We feel like Paul in Romans 7. The things that I would do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. It feels like we're just divided up sometimes when, uh, when anxiety hits us hard. We'd like to not think about those worrisome things, but we seem not to be able to control ourselves. And so in 4.8, he writes, Finally, beloved, 
He says finally about five times, I think, in this letter. He's sort of like a preacher. So finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And to rephrase that less poetically and more directly, it would be like this. Think about these things. Excellent things, pure things, honorable things, worthy things, things worthy of praise. It's an instruction. Think about these things. If there's anything of moral excellence possible in life, and there is, then think about those things. Focus your mind on the things that are true, truthful, honest, transparent. To have our mind occupied with lies, either lies that we're believing or lies about ourselves, or lies we're telling ourselves, to have our mind occupied with things that are not connected with what is real and what is true is a sure route to anxiety because our lives are to be grounded in the truth and only in the truth. Think about honorable things, majestic things, things that lift the mind. The opposite is to think about degrading things and shameful things. Think about what is just, what is right, what is good, what is fair. To think of the opposite is to think about selfish things rather than how do I see that, that fairness is done, that justice is done. I think about what I want. Think about pure things, pure motives, pure actions, uh, not, not duplicious things that are divided up or... Uh, in, intended to deceive others. Purity is of mind is what is called for. Think of the things that are pleasing, lovely, attractive, winsome, beautiful, not cynicism and sarcasm and just seeing the ugly and the deplorable around us and focusing mind on those. Think on the things that are commendable, things that are good about other people instead of just what we see bad about the other, not envy and jealousy and judgmentalism. Think about the things that are excellent, not mediocre, getting by, not getting caught. Think about things that are worthy of praise, not self-glory and criticism. Paul calls us to continuously focus our mind on these things to give full critical attention to good things when we think. Now, I want to tell you that this is not an easy command carried out, and it's not something that one does on the spur of the moment and is able to sustain. It is a practice of our lives, I think, and we get better at it as we practice it. When we find our mind wandering off to things that are not on that list, to be able to call it back and think on the, the other things, to begin to notice the things in other people and in God's world that are beautiful and glorious and worthy of thinking and giving our attention to those, to read things from Christian writers and poets, to notice things that, Christ, that artists and musicians have uh, called attention to. These are ways of giving our mind to the things that are good and excellent and worthy of praise. And our mind gets shaped by that and is far less easily knocked off track by circumstances or a, a jolt in a relationship. It is a practice. Worry has a way of sort of eroding a, a channel, a, really a canyon right through the middle of our mind that everything flows into and gets worried about. But Paul calls us to use our minds in another way. He says, well, I'm not sure I can do that to my mind. I don't, don't know if I can really focus it that well. I don't know if that's possible. Well, let me ask you this. Let's suppose you were, in this moment, rather at peace. 
not worrying about anything particular. Do you know, would you know how to make yourself miserable if you wanted to? Well, of course you would. You'd know just exactly who to think about or what to think about to be perfectly miserable in five minutes from now. You do know that your thoughts and your emotions, your thoughts and your will are connected to each other. And Paul is saying, learn to focus your thinking on the things that make for peace in your life. How frequently our minds fill with wild, uncontrolled thoughts about what ifs and about bashing ourselves and how awful we are of what we've done or about cynicism about our world or about other people in our life or about having to criticize others or just all the negative things going on around about our minds can focus on immoral thoughts all of those things take us away from what the god of peace is offering us which is the peace of god much of our anxiety could be alleviated or at least reduced by developing a more disciplined mind by thinking about the things that lead to life. It's not an easy or a natural thing. It's a discipline and requires effort and practice, but the Lord is near. God is there to help. This is God's instruction. This is God telling us how he wants us to live. And something I've come to believe very much is wherever there is an instruction from God, there is an implicit promise that says, I'll help you with this. My Holy Spirit is present with you. You don't have to do this on your own. If you want to learn to think this way, tell God you want to learn to think this way and begin the practice. And your mind may stay on track for a good minute and a half before it goes off. And then call it back. And if you make it, you get to where you can do three minutes, you've improved and life is better and more peaceful. Some of you know the practice of centering prayer, which is a way of really trying not to think about anything but God for a while, just to be focused in silence for 20 minutes. And your mind just is like runs away all the time, all the time. You find yourself like, you know, the stray dog at the whistler's contest. You're just pulled off in every direction all the time, and you have to call yourself back. Thomas Keating was a teacher, uh, is a teacher of centering prayer, and he had been teaching this to a group of believers. And one of them went up to him afterwards and said, Father Keating, I got to tell you that I've tried this, but I have to call myself back to attention a thousand times in 20 minutes. And I feel like such a failure. And he said, how happy do you think it makes God that you would turn to him a thousand times in 20 minutes? Uh, it, it's not to beat ourselves up about it. It's something to be learned, and none of us is good at it. But Paul's instruction is a disciplined mind focused on the things that are beautiful and good and true and excellent and honorable and just, focused on those things rather than all the negatives that we can give ourselves to, leads us to experience the peace of God offered by the God of peace. We have to take more personal responsibility about what enters our mind, what we're reading or listening or watching, and ultimately those things affect what we think about and how we think about them. Uh, music and worship play a big role in this. When our mind is occupied with the beauty of a hymn or the joy of a song of praise. Uh, we're not thinking about the other things, and music can play a role of helping our mind to become more focused. If you can describe the way you'd like to be as a person down the road, uh, 
the values that you want to hold and live out and think about those things, that's a positive thing, both toward becoming that kind of person and about focusing thought off those things that are so full of anxiety. Some people find ways of taking those values that they want to live into or uh, scriptural instructions that they want to live into and memorizing those or putting them in front of themselves so they see them on their computer screen or their mirror on a sticky note or something. The idea is to keep focusing on the things that are good and true and excellent. And it leaves little space for our selfish, fearful, anxious self to step in. Reading scriptural, scripture regularly is one of the things of fo- ways of focusing on that which is true and good and excellent. And Paul says the result is the God of peace will be with you and anxiety will be forced to abandon its throne. W.H. Auden, the playwright, wrote these words. He said, choice of attention, to pay attention to this and to ignore that, is to the inner life what choice of action is to the outer life. In both cases, one is responsible for the choice and must accept the consequences. He said, as Ortega y Gasset said, tell me what, to what you pay attention, and I will tell you who you are. And it is the effort to pay attention to the things that matter, to the things that are good and true and excellent, that shapes us more and more into that kind of person. We can learn with practice to choose to focus on what is good for us and what pleases God. The God of peace invites us to the discipline, the practice of a disciplined mind. And the God of peace invites us to stay faithful to our other spiritual practices. Uh, Christianity doesn't take place in the head. It's not a set of doctrines and it's not a, a positive thinking experience. Christianity takes place in the body, in the lived out life that we have day in and day out. It takes place in the concrete relationships we have and how we behave in those relationships. That's where the way is followed. And so Paul says, translate these things that you're thinking about into action. He says in that last verse there, keep doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. What did I teach you? He asked. What did I demonstrate to you? What did I tell you? What have you heard about my life? What did you see me doing as I was among you? And what have you heard about me as we've been apart? I'm trying to live this way. And if you don't have any better model than that, look at me and do what I do. And you and I might be a little reluctant to tell another Christian or a group of Christians, just, just live like I do, you'll be fine. But Paul did not have any options about that. There were no Bibles to leave behind. There weren't Christian biographies and there weren't videotapes and podcasts and all the resources that we have in our day to focus our mind on good things and and learn how to live the Christian life from so many people who have lived it around us and before us. So Paul said, I'm trying this. I'm trying to live this life. And the Spirit of God is helping me. So whatever you heard me teach you or whatever you received from me in the way of instruction, whatever you've heard in me or seen in me, keep practicing those things. What did Paul teach them? Well, you know, they would have learned from Paul to do all these things, to pray, uh, to focus on the things that are true and just and good, 
They would have seen life lived out in sacrifice. They would have seen in Paul not a selfish ambition, but a willingness to lay his life down on behalf of others. They would have seen joy in the midst of suffering as he sang in that prison cell in Philippi and there was an earthquake that set him free. They would have seen his faith. They would have seen his trust in God. They would have seen all of those things. And Paul said, just keep practicing the stuff you know. You've received it. You're not waiting to, to learn something new, some secret to life that's going to unlock this. Anxiety is just real stuff because the world is made of real stuff. Real relationships that sinful people like you and me have a way of bruising and wounding occasionally until we get caught up in the anxiety of that bruised relationship. Circumstances are out of our control in the world and in our own little world. And if we just live in relationship to those things, we live in a stew of anxiety that erodes and eats our lives. And that's not what the God of peace longs for us to know. He wants us to know the peace of God. And Paul said, so we learn to live following Jesus in a very real anxious world. It doesn't have to control us. Much of our anxiety is the result of our own doing and thinking. Relationships go awry. Our responses to circumstances that seem overwhelming, our fear, our runaway thinking that takes us down paths that are neither helpful nor healthy, our forsaking the practices that help keep us aware of God and God's presence with us and God's love. Lacking the peace of God is often the result of just no longer being in good connection with the God of peace. And so, if the source is relationships, the solution is peacemaking. If the source is circumstances, the solution is the peace of God through prayer. If the source is our runaway thoughts, then the, the solution has to do with a more focused mind. If the source is forgetting God's love and presence, then the solution is returning to those practices that we've been taught that keep us focused on God's presence. God offers us something different from what we will acquire all on our own. He offers us peacemaking as a way of reducing the anxiety that's produced from our relationships. He calls us to experience his peace and prayer. He calls us to know his presence in our lives by focusing on the things that are worthy and excellent and good and living them out day in and day out as we've been taught. What's your commitment this morning? What's mine? Is there a relationship that needs to be restored if I'm going to know anything akin to peace? Are there new commitments to prayer to make, to return to practices that help me stay connected with the God of peace? Are there new attention needs to be given to my thought life so that it doesn't run away so much? Are there spiritual practices that I've neglected, and so I'm less and less aware of the presence of the God of peace on a daily basis. There's something for all of us to return to, because I'm pretty sure there were at least a few minutes this past week where you and I were anxious and worried. And God says, I know you live that way, but I want to offer you something else. The, peace, the God of peace invites us into the peace of God. Let's pray together. Father, we pray along with the psalmist who said, test me and know my anxious thoughts. And Lord, you know every thought that passes through our head before it ever becomes an action or a word. And you know how many of them being anxious are 
things where we've just relied on ourselves and failed to trust in you. So we pray that the challenging hard work of focusing our minds and mending our relationships and enriching the experience of prayer and putting into practice the things we know that uh, your Holy Spirit would be the one who works in us to will and to do these good purposes and that you would use these things to help us more and more in the midst of a world gone crazy and a world that is so anxious to bear witness to Jesus Christ by being people who know what it is to live more and more in the peace of God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.